You're listening to The People on k 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. On this episode, our guests are Phil Chang and Peter Holzauer. Phil Chang is an artist and photographer who was born in Indiana, and he has lived and worked in Los Angeles for over two decades. I think capital P photography instrumentalizes the world. It takes place in the world in a really prevalent way. It doesn't have to be art. You know, there's a reason why like the, all of us are sitting down here probably on our wallets with some form of identification that has like a photographic picture or representation of ourselves and not a watercolor of ourselves. Peter Holtower is a photographer who lives and works in Los Angeles. Originally from Maine, he did his MFA at UCLA and is an adjunct instructor at University of Southern California. I think at the base of what I do is, is that I'm interested in really straightforward depiction or, or realism and that I, I, I don't really have anything to sort of say about photography or, or about art. I'm just trying to, you know, show a convincing view of the world. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to us on Kechung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Now, before we get to our conversation with Phil Chang and Peter Holzhauer, We have a new installment of our segment, Notes from the People. This episode, we're featuring a piece by Jacob Wick, an artist, improviser, and writer who lives in Mexico City. You can find out more about Jacob and his work at jacobwick.info. That's J-A-C-O-B-W-I-C-K dot info. We're going to hear an excerpt from his piece, Visualization Exercise. This group exercise is intended to assist participants in locating the role past impressions play in horizoning everyday experience. It doesn't matter. Continue, progress, walk towards the trees, for they are strange, queer, and this unsettles you. You must reach them, figure them out. They are palm trees or evergreens. The sky is blue or gray above them. Do not look at the sky. Look at the trees. What is so strange about the trees? You must discover. You walk towards them. You are rapidly approaching. You begin to run. Your heart is pounding with the thrill of the chase. You have forgotten about the water, the dune, the crow, the man, the past, the hotel, the trash. You ignore the seagulls, the pelicans, the cormorant. You are concentrating on the trees. The trees are what is important here, very important. They are the only thing that is worth your time, your effort. You must get there soon, sooner, faster, now. You must discover, progress, unravel the mystery like a mummy or a Christmas present. Do not open your eyes. When you arrive at the trees, you are astonished to realize that one of the trees is not a tree at all, but is, in reality, the mast of a ship. Look at the water now. Look at the place where the sea or the lake meets the sky. This is where the ship came from. This place is in your future, but nonetheless, some time ago, this ship appeared there at the edge of the flat earth. It appeared at this point in your future, sometime in the past, and sailed or motored towards the shore, towards the trees, first as a small dot, and then as a large dot that grew larger and larger until finally the dot became a ship, and the ship crashed 
in your past, beyond your limit, outside of your control, in the trees. At this point, or perhaps well after this point, in its past and in your future, the ship became a tree, or more precisely, a not tree, a queer object. This queer object came into your limit when you saw something strange about the trees. It came into your control when you finally, in a rush, discovered it to be a ship. You are not relieved, however, for you cannot see what is inside the ship. It could be full of explosives, or bodies, or cocaine, or it could be empty, or it could have become a home or a nesting ground for some kind of predator, or perhaps even something harmless. You must enter the ship. Open your eyes. You will never be satisfied. Merleau-Ponty uses this ship to point out categorically that an impression can never by itself be associated with another impression. When your eyes were closed and you were approaching the ship, you could not see it was there because you could only see trees. When you look at trees, you do not see a ship. When you look at a crow, you do not see a man. If you see a ship in the trees or a man in the crow, you are doing so not because of the trees or the crow, but because you have in the past seen something that reminds you that trees might be a ship or that the crow might be a man. Hold up your right hand. Do not look at it. Look at me. I am holding up my right hand. We hold up our right hands when we make oaths, to somebody or for something. When we pledge to tell the truth in court, or when we are sworn in as president, we place our left hand on the Bible and hold up our right hand, like this. Now bring your hand forward while straightening your arm. We are fascists. Now clench your fist and raise your arm so it is perpendicular to the floor. We are in solidarity. Look at your clenched fist. Do not lower it. Where is your fist's horizon? Look at my fist. Where is my hand? Now let's get to our conversation with our guests, Phil Chang and Peter Holtzauer. Phil Chang and Peter Holtzauer, welcome to the people. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, Peter and Phil, you guys are both artists and photographers, or artists who identify as photographers. Can you tell us about that that kind of uh, the problematics of that? You know, I think that's a really good question because I think it, in some ways it's like a foundation um, that lays the groundwork for a certain problem when you work in photography and maybe you want that work to circulate in art. Um, the problem suggests a certain double standard that gets applied to photography. And so I think when someone might say that you identify as a photographer, that's identifying with a vocation or an activity. Um, it's another thing to also say that you're identifying with a medium or a, a certain enterprise or a certain set of technical procedures. Yeah, so I think that distinction is very important. I suppose I was actually a photographer before I had any awareness of art. So in a weird way, I spent a long time sort of denying that I was a photographer. and <laughs> and uh, But now it seems fine to sort of embrace that and just be like, yeah, I'm a photographer. And does that have, uh, like, what, does that have anything to do with uh, the the relative newness of photography, and how when that photography first came around in the world, it wasn't it wasn't a thing that people called art. It took a while for that to be something that was under the art umbrella, right? Yeah, this is like a long running thing with photography, like from its beginning, right? It was 
not painting. It was, you know, not art. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you say you're a painter, the first response isn't people that, you know, they ask you to paint their house or their headshots, uh, which is, I'm envious of. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, my initial thing was that I, I just did nature photography. You know, I didn't, I, I, I thought that that was uh, what I wanted to do. Yeah, you know, I think this topic's interesting because it, it touches on the ubiquity of photography, the, the sheer prevalence the utter availability of images today. And I think yeah. one way to sort through that abundance is to figure out, oh, if you do photography, what type of photography is it? And I think Peter's comment is pretty spot on because people, if they hear you're a painter, they won't assume that you're, you know, applying latex, water-based stuff to house, right? Yeah. And that suggests that the photograph isn't always considered art from the onset, whereas the painting or sculpture, in terms of all the media of contemporary art, is. And so that's a double standard, I think, from the onset, if you want it to function in art or if you're trying to like pursue artistic goals. Does that, does that uh, also allow you like some leeway in some ways um, to address the medium and, the, and, the, and that issue, like the, the functionality or the practicality of mm -hmm. photography, like using that as a way to get into the contemporary art you know, world? Yeah, um, I think absolutely. There's there's so much other stuff besides art that photography is and does. That's that's fascinating if, you know, if you want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, Do tell. I don't know, maybe the experience of working at a photo lab and seeing all this stuff just coming out of the machine that's uh, you know, definitely all not fine art, even, you know, maybe the worst was the stuff that was claiming to be fine art, but the, you know, just there's so much there. You know, just last weekend I was in Arizona, uh, you know, helping my mom go through my grandmother's things and having to go sift through her photo archive, you know, from the 40s to the 90s was, you know, I thought as someone who teaches photography, I thought, oh, you know, I, I know all about this, you know, the archive, you know, the personal family album, all this, but still just seeing it all physically sifting through everything and uh, uh, it's a lot there. Right. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's, we, we, everyone at this table knows of artists who, who make photographs, but they wouldn't say that they're photographers. They would not deny it, but they, they would just identify as like, I'm an artist. So what, yeah, so why, why are you two not that? Well, I don't know, Phil, would you say you're a photographer when you introduce yourself? Oh, yeah, Depending maybe on context. <laughs> So I think it's slippery. I think it's fluid and it's really contingent, contingently based, I would say. Because not all my work is considered photography, even though it might deal with photographic problems or photographic materials. Um, when I say that maybe people wouldn't perceive it as photographic is that it's not depicting something in the world where you can actually transparently or perceptively identify the thing that exists in the world. So not all my work deals with that. So in that way, sometimes I don't say that I'm just a photographer um, because I think it could be confusing. But that's not to say that I don't have a, a deep fondness or a deep commitment to the medium, um, to its problems, but also to its, some of its strengths. Which, and we heard Peter talk about this a little bit. Can you add to or comment on like what, what photo, capital P, photo does that, that art doesn't do? Or, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I think, it, I think capital P photography instrumentalizes the word right or you could say that capital p photography also 
it takes place in the world in a really prevalent way. It doesn't have to be art, you know. There's a reason why, like, the, all of us are sitting down here probably on our wallets with some form of identification that has, like, a photographic picture or representation of ourselves and not a watercolor of ourselves. Yeah. Right. So there's right. something really efficient and just economical and practical about that. Um, what that does, though, for art is that something that else has to happen to the photographic document or the object for it to function in art. And so there's, a, again, this double standard is at work. And maybe it's too early to jump into this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, can we talk about the fact that everyone's a photographer now? That everyone carries a camera in their pocket, yeah. and we're and we're all old enough to remember a time when that was absolutely not the case, and maybe even unimaginable, right? That everyone would have a camera. I'm using air quotes this good <laughs> in their in their pocket uh, at all. I think that's a question of access, and what I like to describe as a, a problem of populism. So, if we think of populism as like originating in kind of a democratic civic principle, where every citizen has a say with how like, maybe social policy or society can be governed, right? We see that just completely exploded now because of social media. And there's nothing wrong with everyone being a photographer. There is something to me concerning and problematic where if you might call some of that art. And so that's where I might sound very conservative and very mid 20th century modernist. But I think this argument that certain boundaries have to be shored up takes place now in an age of intense populism because of social media. This, I mean, the analogy, I think maybe for your listeners, would be the death of the critic. And for, for listeners, my, my scare quotes are scare being quotes. Yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate about that, especially when film and art. Um, the New York Times chief film critic A.O. Scott just wrote a book, Living Through Criticism, explaining why criticism is still important. I really, I really believe in that. I really believe that certain people are trained to discuss certain things, analyze, or try to unpack certain things. And that's fine. That's really great. I just think sometimes in an age where someone could just by a click of a button express an opinion, and that opinion might mean something, I'm really skeptical of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not against populism when it comes to like the civic kind of manifestation of it. I am a little suspect of it when it comes to like online culture. Yeah. I guess I'm a little dubious of the, the claim that it's really that big of a difference uh than it ever has been I, I feel like yes it got much quicker and easier for everyone to be a photographer but i feel like photography's been sort of a a fad a hobby a thing that the general population could do for a long time i, I feel like uh alfred stieglitz said something i'm gonna get this year wrong i feel like it was you know 1912 or something maybe it was early maybe 1908 and he said something like that he was really glad that the bicycle had come out and was becoming really popular. So all these stupid people that were taking horrible pictures could just go ride their bicycles and stop and put the camera down. That's fair. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I've worked in a photo lab before too. And the amount of like stuff, it's the same stuff that now you see on Facebook or wherever, but that stuff that was coming out of the developer was the same kind of like schlock. It just took a little longer for it to, you know, mm -hmm. get into circulation. Mm -hmm. I feel like. Yeah, but you you were talking about the archive, like going through like an actual photo archive. I wonder how that's going to change when you're addressing like someone's, you know, nine gigabytes or nine terabytes of photos from their whole life. Sifting through that, I mean, 
that's a completely different archive. Yeah, right? the sheer number. Yeah. Like, I, I totally that hear you. Happened, like, it's right? been around and it's been a popular thing forever. But just the numbers, which I absolutely do not know, but there has got to be billions for sure, you yeah. know, of of digital images that people have taken versus millions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows what's going to happen when the you know those servers in the in some, in the Silicon Valley you know turn off. And yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it'll be easier to go through your um, you know grandparents' but, archive. Right. It's you don't have to get that pang that you feel when you just kind of dump them physically into the dumpster uh, yeah. it's quieter easier cleaner right um, but I, maybe the question is really is does all this how does all this the ubiquity of the of the image how does that actually like affect how you personally address image making right i mean i guess that we can talk about like oh this is an image society blah 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 but as artists, as photographers, how does that change the way you address the image? I don't know if it does for me. Um, I mean, I certainly use my iPhone and, you know, take pictures, and sometimes I'll try to remake those with a film camera, and it's convenient, but I don't think it fundamentally changes. I think it hasn't changed a lot for me. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Maybe it's easier to look at other art and other photography that, you know, maybe I'd have to go to the library more and, and check out a physical book, but... Um, Again, I think it's just it's it's it makes it easier and quicker. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because I often see stuff on the internet, you know, videos uh, of or photographs uh, or memes or whatever that fifteen or twenty years ago would have been like a pretty cool conceptual performance <laughs> yeah, piece, know. you know, or a pretty cool video art video, like mm -hmm. for sure. And now it's just like, well, that's just a clever exactly. internet idea that someone had, and you know, and I, I don't do much or any video uh, or photo, but I would imagine that like, as far as like coming up with ideas or concepts for, for projects or series, you know, whatever, be like, well, I can't do that. Or I, I shouldn't do that maybe mm -hmm. because it's like, this will just be like a, it's on the same level as like a cute internet idea. Right. right. But I could be wrong about that. I mean, is that. Well, no, I think you're very right because I think if you look back at certain late 20th century art historical movements, you realize that whether unconsciously or consciously, they prefigured things that we're experiencing today. Yeah. So if you think about like Chris Burden's, um, when his extreme performative sculptural moments, getting shot with the 22 rifle, being nailed to that VW bug. So what would the contemporary reference be? Jackass. And yeah, okay. Totally. Just, I was hoping right. you were going yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, totally. Jackass, right. right. Or course. if you think about the pictures generation. So it starts in the 70s. It's a, it's a movement that deals with appropriation, but also like discussing mass imagery. Our friend Richard Prince. Our friend Richard Prince, yeah. yeah. Or we could say Cheryl Levine, um, James Welling, Louise Lawler, um, Jack Goldstein. You start thinking about like sampling that happens or like the, the, the amazing intense migration of JPEGs or derivative digital files. So yeah, I think you're onto something there, Ben. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, maybe we can pick this up uh, when we come back from the break, but we should definitely talk about what y'all think about Richard Prince's Instagram project mm. which it seems like has just he's like Instagram has been waiting for him he's been waiting for Instagram yeah. his whole life and like you know maybe we can take that uh we'll take a break and then come back and talk about it sounds great yeah thanks guys you're listening to the people on K Chung 1630 AM I'm Ben White 
And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. You should go to iTunes and you should listen to the show. Then you can subscribe to the show. You can rate the show. And you could even leave us a nice little review. Just a tidbit of your thoughts. And we're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. So to find out more about that, you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page there. And now back to our conversation with Phil Chang and Peter Holtzauer. So yeah, Ben, it was funny when you brought that up because I forgot that Prince did that Instagram, what I would call a campaign or a platform or a publicity stunt. Because um, I just was, wasn't thinking about it. But when I do think about Prince, I think of his um, project that was called Beavers, where he re-photographed the pages of a porn magazine that would solicit its viewers, its readers, to then submit pictures of their like girls or ladies or wives or spouses or someone in their family. Um, semi-nude, fully nude, sitting on either a Harley, hot rod, or some type of vehicle. And then he re-photographed that stuff. So I, I do think about that work. That work was in the early 80s. Right, and he's, and he's uh, immensely important to a lot of people, but then somehow at the same time, n- not so important to people mm-hmm. like, I don't know, somebody sitting at this table, for example. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, he was, he was an important figure for me and, and still is. He's uh, maybe not so much the Instagram pieces, but uh, yeah, I've got at least two Richard Prince books at home on my bookshelf. But I remember being at USC when Collier Shore came a couple years ago and her talking about, uh, I think she said she used to work for him and I, I didn't know that. That was sort of interesting. I think I tried to talk to her after the, after one of her talks in the classroom or something. I was asking her about that, and she she was just like, you know, everyone always asked me about Richard Prince, like it was, he was a Wizard of Oz or something, or just, (laughs) I I just uh, thought that was funny. But maybe it's you know, just an observation of the art world being sort of smaller than we realize sometimes. Absolutely. But you know, I love the idea of him being a Time Life books in the basement. Having some mm-hmm. menial job doing copy stand work, and you know, I you know what? When was that idea that just you know, I can just shoot this? I can just shoot mm-hmm. these these couches of this interior scene, and mm-hmm. that's and that's it. Um, but yeah. But you guys, so Peter, you and Phil also have, uh, as artists, photographers, have actually gone out into LA to shoot together, like on many occasions. Yes. I don't know about many, but a uh, fair number. Yeah, Phil, Phil gets me out of the house. Is it five? Yeah. I'd say five times. I mean, given that I, I'm middle-aged and that Peter's a good... Rapidly approaching. <laughs> <laughs> so not much time, but yeah, we make the time to do that. There's something very interesting in doing that for me. is because like a lot of the people that I feel very close to in Los Angeles or even in the world, based on either them being teachers or them being artists... I don't ever work with them, though. I don't ever engage in their process of production. Right. And so Peter's been one of the few people I've been able to do that. And it's actually, it's it's an honor. It's a, it's a memorable thing. Yeah. It's very memorable. Remember yeah. that time we went to Carmageddon on the 405? Yeah. Yep. And we <laughs> yep. got there just at the moment that they were let, leading the media crew mm-hmm. down onto the 405. Right. And we did. We had our tripods. And yep. I was just like, Phil, let's go. Let's get in let's line. Get in like, line. Yep. Let's, we just, let's we just of, blended in. And yeah. We... So for your listeners, nice. Carmageddon was in 2012. <laughs> yeah, they 11. shut down a huge section of the 405, and it was just exactly. like which is a major freeway, major here freeway in Los Angeles, in Los Interstate. Angeles. Yes. Yep. Yeah, they were destroying a bridge, the Mulholland Bridge, and so we were able to access that. And I think maybe Peter, what do you think? I think it was our gear 
we had no like press credentials, but we just we just kind of blended in and just walked through with the herd, the crowd of press. That's great. Yeah. And you still haven't developed that sheet of four by five film that you shot that day, right? That's, yeah. That's... Because Peter knows me so well that he can remember that. Yes, listeners out there, I have not <laughs> developed a two sheets of four by five inch film that we shot almost four years ago. Yeah. I feel like you could display that and be like, this is unprocessed. I've been thinking there. about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, could we have, uh, let's, let's start with you, Phil. Since you guys know each other so well and you guys know each other's work, could you maybe talk about some of Peter's work, mm-hmm. that, the, the stuff that you're the most interested in or mm-hmm. you think is? I think, you know, so I've known Peter for 11 years now. Um, we met when he was in graduate school and I was just out of, just right after graduate school and I don't know. I don't make many friends now being like a straight man in his middle age. Like, so when I do, I, I'm, I appreciate that. I also don't meet many friends that have a commitment to a consistent dedication or practice to interrogate something. And I think in terms of Peter, it's a, a specificity towards photography. Um, so when we've gone out to photograph together, I realize what he's looking at. And so I've been able to understand his work even better. One work that comes to mind is a picture that he took. You might have to correct me, Peter. It's of the Los Angeles Department of Water Power building in downtown Los Angeles, international style building. You took that maybe in? I was in school. I think it was probably 06 or 07. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really always think fondly about that picture because I always think about where did Peter position himself, which was ostensibly in another building to get a certain elevation to picture this it's shot in black and white exposure is really amazing because it's a nighttime shot too um if you and your listeners could like indulge me there's this d max value to this print that's just amazing so it's like really deep blacks that allow for you to like enter that print but also understand it as actual physical object yeah it's a very very stunning image what's what's the title peter of that is that Oh, I can't remember. I sort of excised it because oh, I was, okay. got embarrassed that I was just, you know, aping a Christopher Williams image. Uh-huh. But I, it was important to do that, I guess. Yeah. I think I was, I got access to the balcony of the, I think it was called the Health Services Building or something. Mm-hmm. So it's a building that's still down there, right next to that. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. well, what is the? You say you, you Phil, you you have a better understanding or a good understanding of uh, a process of interrogation that Peter's doing with his work. Like, can you describe the nature of that interrogation? Mm-hmm. So I'll say this before asking Peter to correct me. Okay, How's that? of course. So like the record could exist, but also, you know, a correction could happen. Sure. I feel like Peter's really trying to investigate our relationship to a world and why that world should be pictured, right? Because the world exists already. It doesn't have to be put into a frame. But to insist that it should be means that something happens that's worthy for a shutter to click, for an exposure to happen, and for that thing then to be flattened to two dimensions. That's really interesting to me. So there's another way to think about this too, is that this Instagram problem or the the availability that everyone's a photographer today, they don't have to contend with that because they're not making prints, right? They're not making physical objects. Yeah. So that's interesting to me what Peter tries to do. I mean, another thing too is I think Peter, this is where I should probably be sat corrected, but I really appreciate how Peter finds poetic moments and is able to translate that into a two-dimensional plane that is either typically, from my knowledge, black and white, or it could be color. And that's interesting to me. 
because poetry is something separate than visuality, right? But that can actually, that happens in Peter's work. And that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's strange. You know, it feels, we never want to go out on the fence and, and use the word poetic, really. But um, I guess it sort of boils down for me is that, you know, maybe just an excitement and a love mm-hmm. of photography and that, you know, maybe not everything has been pictured already um, or sort of hope or um, investigation that that maybe it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Would a better maybe substitute for poetry be like just pathos or emotion or? um... Well, I feel like with the, with the kind of photography that Peter, I, I think you're doing, it's like I'm looking in the, at this space and I'm taking the moment to not just note it, but actually take that from this moment and make a photo like you said actually make a photo make a print and and kind of memorialize that moment memorialize is maybe not the right word but it's like you're deciding that this moment is important to reconsider to to reconsider yeah and poetry is typically you know considered to be a very similar thing it's like you know allowing uh, the self to exist in that moment and and make something out of that moment that then you would present to another. I guess it's the same thing as just making a sculpture or whatnot, but it's not quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, th- I think so. I mean, may- memorialize, you know, makes me think of, you know, Smithson Monument or yeah, something, but yeah. it, I, that's fine, you know. I, I think at the base of what I do is is that I'm interested in really straightforward depiction or, or realism and that I, I, I don't really have anything to sort of say about photography or or about art just trying to you know show a convincing view of the world but phil uh you know those works on paper right which for the viewer i think what you're doing is you're taking and correct me if i'm wrong because i know you're very specific about the titles in the description but i believe it's replacement ink for epson printers it's not actually made by epson Mm -hmm. but what you put on a sponge it's a it's like a mop almost, exactly. right? Yeah, a floor mop. A floor mop, and then you, which you then place on paper and then sort of smear mm-hmm. or across the paper in kind of a swoosh exactly. pattern. That's exactly what it is, yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I just love the way that that is sort of um, almost seems about photography, even though it's, it's not photographic. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seems almost like a gesture or a painting and yet you insist on the photographicness of materials to an almost absurd, absurd extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad um, I saw that. I was trying to definitely... You know, the type that. of the paper, I think. Right, What's right. your preferred paper? It's like, it was an Epson paper, right? It was like a glossy Epson paper. Some of the paper big ones are like an Epson gloss, uh, either glossy or luster. And then I've also um, tried to use other manufacturers' paper, so Canson, Hanamuyula. Um, yeah, I do those too. And then there's a museo occasionally. Yeah, and we could talk about inkjet media or, or technology later. But yeah. totally. What what led you to those? Like, what was your, what was your, what was yeah. was there an initial yeah, thing? I like, were you question. were you just like? I don't think I've ever asked you this. I don't yeah, know, I never no, thought you to. But you know what it is is our peer group, our friends. I think being in Los Angeles, you're around a lot of good artists who are trying to engage with image production. And if you're lucky, you're trying to engage with the implications of that. And I think, you know, Peter and I have been around that. And so for me, it was trying to figure out how to engage in a discussion around that. Um, 
after finishing Cal Arts in 2005, the kind of discussion in LA was around materiality and process. And I think since then it has shifted more to what I like to call the tyranny of the quirkiness, the, um, <laughs> uh, the regime of intense subjectivity of the artist that gets then put in through digital maneuvers or digital mistakes, um, references to maybe 70s or 80s advertising photography. And I was thinking about that, and I have a lot of good friends that make work like that, and that's very strong. I just realized I couldn't, I couldn't do that, and if I was going to engage with that, what would that be? And so, Peter, to answer your question, it was like, okay, I want to figure out what does it mean to make a picture today in an inkjet era, and then would that then mean that I have to then manually apply this ink to the paper in order to do so, in order to act that? Yeah, it's kind of, it seems like you turned on end the, you know, the idea that photographs should look like they were made by a machine which I've always, that's, right. that's what I think. But, and I'm not sure yours, yours are photographs or I'd call, I'd call them that. Yeah, but they're not. Um, yeah. Are they, are they, in, are they on some level like engaging? I mean, I feel like that I've seen images of those pieces and, and uh, I feel like they're engaging with the most basic of mark making. Right. I mean, like, you yeah. know, and, and, yes. and they're many, I think we consider them almost just like painting. Right. Yeah. It's just, the materials are different, right? Yeah, you get I get accused of that a lot, and I'm I'm open to it. You know, like yeah. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, right? it seems, I mean, it seems intentional. I mean, yeah. that, that you're doing something that's basically painting, but you're insisting on mm-hmm. on calling it photo, right? Right. Well, you know, just to be technical, in the medium listing, so if there's like a checklist or if there's like some type of documentation, they're called archival inkjet prints. And yeah. that's just a nod to the kind of museum designation of how we identify um, materials yeah. within like photographic production. Yeah. I have backed myself into what I like to call with scare quotes for the, view, uh, the listeners, um, a discursive corner where, yeah, people really want to engage in painting with this work. Um, but I do like to say that the work is not just painting in the same way that's not just a screen print, in the same way that's not just a drawing. Sure. In the same way, it's not just an inkjet print. Well, and those particular pieces are often exhibited um, in the same room or across the same room from the kind of monochromatic right. works that you do, right? The there's like, like I've seen orange ones and purplish mm-hmm. ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously that installation style and that interplay between like the the inkjet print, you know, wiping the ink on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. the fact that it's across from this other thing seems important to the piece as a whole yes. right yes it is it's yeah. not just an in, i mean it it's not just oh we're gonna put this next to that it's like no this is purposeful right? I mean, it's funny yeah, though, it could just right? be like you know for like certain viewers it could just be like purely visual or you know not to be disparaging but purely decorative but that's out of my control true but okay. yeah. in terms of what i was interested in what what matt what you're referring to is an exhibition that happened in at m and b yeah. gallery in los angeles yeah. 2014 where I called the exhibition Pictures, Comma, Chromogenic, and Pigment. And so the title was referring to the type of materials that were the support for the images. So those monochromes that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, those were actually at one point light-sensitive chromogenic prints, whereas the works on paper or these inkjet works that we're talking about were actually just pigment prints or you know, materials where I have manually applied pigment to. Yeah. Do you so, like those Richard Prince gang prints that he did? Those giant, he, he used an eight by 10 enlarger and would like put like, I think nine prints and then beam them up on one giant huh. piece of paper. It was sort of like this early, maybe mid eighties 
thing using sort of a new printing technology. I guess hmm. now it's like totally obsolete. Right, right. With the digital. So gang stuff. refers to ganging up the yeah. images. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen those. No. Well, listeners and me will then research this. Yeah. We'll look that up. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And when you do that, please take the time to subscribe to the show and uh, leave us a rating and a review or both. And we're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Uh, To find out more, you can go to insertblancpress.net. And if you click on The People at the top of the page, you'll find all of our archives of the show there as well. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash insertblanc. That SoundCloud page uh, also features additional recordings from various readings and performances, uh, which we think you'll enjoy. And now back to our conversation with Peter Holtzauer and Phil Chang. So yeah, in the summer of 2015, um, Peter was in a group exhibition curated by Russell Ferguson at the um, Hammer Museum called Perfect Likeness. And um, it was really, for me, important to see a, like a close friend, but also a colleague's work in a, in a very, very important exhibition context. Um, Peter had three photographs. One was of a tree outside of Swedish College. One was of a, a ship, a boat in Maine, a fishing boat. It's actually in Alaska. Alaska, okay. Kodiak, Alaska. Right, okay, Kodiak, okay. And the last one was a, a street picture with um, like a snow-covered street with cars and it was for me it was really interesting to see this because it's one thing to show photographs but it's another thing to show photographs alongside other people's photographs and one wall for me that was really exciting to see was like peter's work alongside christopher williams's work or another wall was to see peter's work alongside jeff wall's work and for someone that you know is working through certain problems of photography is we also work through our influences we work through the people that have come before us and I, I think exhibitions are really interesting because it sets a record, you know, and seeing Peter's work in that was really, really important and utterly memorable. Um, it made me also think about different types and different functions of photography. So you had kind of stage tableau on view. You had intense kind of withholding of information. That would be maybe Christopher Williams' work. You had Jim Welling's work was in it. Sharon Lockhart's work was in it. Oh, Jim's was in it. Sorry, scratch that. But then you have Peter's work in it which I think connects back to what we were discussing earlier about, you know, I probably improperly use the word poetic, but there is an investigation about the kind of lived reality um, and how something could be pictured. Yeah. Well, um, that boat picture that you mentioned was a a really important picture for me. I think, Uh, you know, just made it really, without thinking very much i think i'd spent two summers in alaska doing working in the salmon uh fishing industry oh you did that yeah thanks yeah uh wouldn't do it again but uh (laughs) that's what i've heard from other people who've done it it was i was i'm glad i did but yeah made that image uh in the summer of 2001 and you know sat on it for a long time i don't think i printed it right away Mm. actually i think it was uh photographer and artist mark wise we both know that like identified that when i showed it to him he's like you know that's a good picture you know you should print that for Mm -hmm. real you know i want to trade like that picture wouldn't have really existed uh without mark's noticing it but yeah i think it brought together several of my interests in you know that it 
it looked like a postcard or a sort of existing picture already, mm-hmm. but it was also real. You know, it was I was there. It was a, it was a real thing mm-hmm. in the world that um, existed for a one twenty fifth of a second or something. Uh, and but, did, you worked on um, fishing boat fishing boats in Maine as well, right? Just a little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was really, yeah. I mean, I have friends from high school that that do that, and, yeah. you know, uh, as their career, and whose fathers and grandfathers did that. And I, I you know, I would, I just kind of uh, helped out um, for a few months at a time on a few different ones. I, you know, I did one winter working on one, and then sort of uh, a section of one summer. But yeah, I did, um, and it was. I always tried to. I don't know if it makes sense to anyone except for me, but uh, draw some sort of parallel between photographing and commercial fishing, which is really hard to describe because I don't feel like unless you've worked on a commercial fishing vessel, you really have no, uh, it's, it's very unlike sport fishing. Right. Uh, There is a similarity of like catching something, capturing something or. A capturing exposure, or capturing fish. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I'm sorry. Okay, go, no. okay. I think it was more like grinding. Grinder, you know, we yeah. used to, you know, we'd call, you'd sort of grinding, and you're just uh, you're putting the net out, and and you're getting back very little, and it's really kind of a monotonous grind, and it's really hard work, and you don't see much payoff. But then sometimes there is something there, um, and it's through the act of just of doing it. And being really familiar and, and, and not having to think about it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it. You know, obviously it was, I was very lucky to be in that show. Um, well, you know, what you just said makes me think about the low yield in terms of, like, producing pictures or making photographs. And then also its connection to maybe the low yield with uh, capturing fish. Yeah, I I love talking about stuff like that. Maybe this is boring for all our listeners nope, out there. Nope, it's but not. I, I, you know, I... My students always ask me, like, you know, well, how many pictures do we get or do we need to take to get mm-hmm. the keeper in it? Yeah. You know, the photographer Robert Adams, I think, said something like, you know, when you're doing really good, you know, it's it's maybe about one out of 15. So if you're shooting a 36 exposure roll of film, maybe that's like two pictures. Exactly. That, and that's like printable, mm-hmm. not even saying they're good pictures, but like worth making a work print mm-hmm. of, say. But um, But I feel like it must be similar to you know people working in other ways too i would think if i can make an attempt I'm, i have a question about that that particular the photo of the boat the alaskan fishing boat because with your work i mean there seems to be like any image there's this and i think it goes to the poetic thing we were talking earlier but there's like a very personal connection in the work um and i feel like there's a question there about you know, would that image have the same impact if there, if that, if you just happened to be there or if, you know, you know what I mean? If you were just happened to be on shore and shot a photo of this boat just one day, ver- and, you know, say it's the same image, same exact image, but it's like either you happen to catch it or it's like you actually have the history that you have with the boat, with like fishing and, you know, all that, like, how would that change that image, do you think? Or would it at all? I don't think it would. I okay. think that, um, I mean, it's a totally valid and good question, but I don't, like, what you what's, what you wouldn't maybe realize if I didn't tell you is that 
you know, I, I had to be on another boat to take that picture. Like, sure. I couldn't have obviously. got that angle yeah. from the, from yeah. the shore. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it does matter, but maybe it does, you know, maybe it's, it wouldn't be quite the same if I had bought that at a flea market, say, um, yeah, but I do, you know, I probably pressed the shutter, you know, when we just talk about what was going on when I made that picture, you know, I think we were stuck in some bay and it had been raining for like, you know, six days in a row or something, we were taking turns, you know, sitting in the cabin. Basically, that working on that boat for the summer was kind of like camping for three months in a, you know, six by 12 foot room with three other people. Yeah. It was, you know, pretty easy physically, uh, but the sort of um, uh, mental part of it, of like sort of staying sane. I love and, the fact that you say it's pretty easy physically. That doesn't, well, I'm pretty sure that most people yeah, listening cringing. to this show no, right now would be like, really? Is it? No, it was because, yeah. you know, I'm a pretty slim guy. I was sort of nervous about that. But it, yeah. that part of it wasn't difficult. It was it was more the, you know, sleeping 18 inches away from your boss and yeah. you know, not wanting, okay, right. you know, just sort of getting through the day without. Right. Yeah, no, it was just a, a lucky sort of snap. And it was only, like I said, until much later that I sort of, you know, went back and uh, saw the possibilities for it. Mm. And I think it, in on some level, it's like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm, if I can project a little bit, you know, your experience on the boat, you know, that kind of situation is one thing. But it sounds like, I mean, I and seeing the image myself, I've seen it, and it does look like something that you could have shot, you know, without something that you might have shot in like you know 1912 or something it has this kind of historical mm-hmm. impact and i think that that's partially so then i would say maybe it's actually your experience with photography that actually makes that image so well to have shot it and then printed and and it it like the decision to put that in uh, exhibition of the hammer that's a you know a a series of decisions that I think reflects more like an engagement with the history of photography than actually the history of like going fishing. Totally. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't yeah. know. No, it just kind of rose to the surface. Um, you know, I think it was initially shown in the, uh, when, before night gallery was night gallery, they, they were in Lincoln Heights in this little strip mall space. And yep. it was, there's mm-hmm. a little sort of like room with some couches, like the lounge, I think they called it. And it was, that's night gallery here in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh i think that was the first place that it was shown and um yeah but um yes totally my engagement with photography um yeah more than your engagement with fishing well speaking of awkward (laughs) social situations like sleeping 18 inches away from your boss (laughs) the most awkward social situation um we were talking off mic a little bit about both of you phil and peter about how you guys constantly or, or frequently talk about uh, the the trials and tribulations of being an artist and being in the art world and the social component of 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 that way of living. Um, can you enlighten us on your conversation? What I appreciate about this conversation with Peter is that because I've known him for a while and we've never been able to go been, been able to go on record, and so far it's been very positive, but. If there's anything in our friendship that maybe is antagonistic, it's about this, how we navigate the kind of social arena of the art world. 
And so that's been really interesting because I've learned so much about Peter this way because we have nicknames for each other and Peter can acknowledge that. Um, but, you know, we're not taught how to navigate this. There's no training ground in the same way that both Peter, High school. Yeah. Yeah, clicks. I'm, yeah, I'm right? kidding, but yeah. not really. Grad I mean, school. Yeah. Grad school as well. Grad school, yeah. <laughs> Similar. Exactly, yeah. right? But there's no, there's no jock model of the art world, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that was, that was my model in high school because I skated. I skateboarded. And so it wasn't popular. Anyway, um, we we have really, really interesting conversations about how we navigate the kind of social aspects of the art world. And I've really learned from that. So I tend to try to like, without naming names, um, try to be as positive as possible without compromising one's like personal principles. Um, because, you know, there is, there's... There's some shady people out there. Yes, exactly. Thank yeah. You. yeah. Thank you, Ben. Okay. As a host of the show, I appreciate that. And there's that. sometimes sure. some work that is not so good. Either. Oh, yeah. Almost right. all the time. Right. Yeah. 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 But like, you know, fishing in Alaska but or taking photographs, there's a really low yield yeah. where you can actually make a really meaningful connection. And that's what I hold out for. So, you know, when it comes to me and Peter, like, I'm usually trying to, like, we're, we're talking about, like, you know, how was your conversation? Let's party recap. Let's, you know, what happened to that opening, that party, that whatever, that dinner party? Um, so I'm always trying to just think about like, okay, yeah, follow up. This is, yeah, just continue that conversation. But Peter's responses, I can't tell you. I mean, listeners out there, it's amazing because it calls me out for my own blind spots. Like, that's amazing. I mean, like we can celebrate the difference. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about. But so give us your guys's nicknames. You oh, yeah. Garbage pail nicknames, supposedly. That you garbage guys have pail for each kid. Other. Yeah, garbage pail kid nicknames. <laughs> I, I yeah. didn't come up with this. I, I think it was... I think Matt Porter, I heard say this for the first time, but I think Phil's his follow-up Phil. Um, Which makes me sound like a salesperson or a PR maven. But well, I appreciate not, that. It's, it's I, not I, as bad as mine. What, what's... I have given, I've bestowed on Peter, um, pessimistic Peter. Yeah. But, you know, in an age of social media, in an age of, like, you know, solipsistic individualism, pessimism goes pretty far as a currency there. So I'm a big fan. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And follow-up Phil. Because I believe in following up in a conversation that I might have physically with someone and then just trying to extend that. And that, you know, that might be a CalArts thing or that might be me being raised in the Midwest. And uh... I, you, you have a, a more positive, you know, outlook. I'd say, you know, when, when you, you know, we've all had that conversation. Oh, let's do a studio visit. Like, and, uh, you know, it's just like, let's have lunch. You know, it, it doesn't, right. a lot of times it doesn't really mean that, you know, you, Neither party's really interested in doing a studio visit, true, and but true. that's my, you know, maybe they do. It's I a don't polite, know. nice thing to say sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. But maybe this is where I am pessimistic, Phil. I want to actually hold the person to the, the language or to the comment that they're using. Like, yeah, let's do lunch. Let's do the studio visit. Maybe that's you know maybe that's where me and Peter Holtz are differ, differ. Is that. I'm willing to like, there might be the kind of the surface performance in public and there's actually the kind of sincere, genuine kind of meaning in the content of language. Like, I mean, I'm curious if we should talk about differences then, like, how do you think we differ then when it comes to like how we navigate the, these social nuances of the art world? I just think I'm much more shy and reserved. Like, I think I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm never going to be the person to instigate the the email or rarely. Mm -hmm. Um, or the, the follow-up, hmm. I think. Um, but you know that it's, and I'm the same, 
but you know, we know that it is such a crucial component of operating in this community, right? It's, it's essential, right? And so, but you have a, an aversion to it, and so do I. So how, how do you resolve that? Hmm, don't think I have resolved it yet, but um, just try to keep doing the work, I guess, keep grinding. Um, yeah, I guess the, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, sometimes maybe you say at a party, you know, I'd love to do a studio visit and, and of course, you know, you, you don't want to or something. And, but then it, you know, it's part of it, you know, you just have to. And what's that phrase that I think you, you said to me once, paying it forward? Like yeah, it's, paying it forward. It's, like doing a favor or maybe trying to do, to borrow like maybe a, a public sector term phrase would be a social service. Um, allowing a discussion to happen within a community. Um, well, I mean, because ultimately that's, I mean, that's the deal. And that's why, because I agree with Peter, we're on the same page mm -hmm. as far as like the social aspect of the art world. But like, uh, if you're in it, you're in it. And it's, it's, it is about grinding it out and doing the work. Obviously that's the most important thing, but the, the community is, is equally as important. If, if not, in some cases, maybe even more important. Right, right. You know, I mean, that's that's how we all share ideas and work and concepts yeah. with each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. That's, that's why Peter and I are here yeah. today. Yeah. Well, that's how we yeah. find things that might surprise well, that's us why as this, well, right? That's why this yeah. show exists. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, for me, there's another thing, too, is like every art object needs a discourse for me. Right. Because, I mean, meaning can't be constructed in a vacuum. And so the studio visit or like, you know, following up or paying it forward would be one way to like, maybe hopefully if one's lucky to have that discursive context, if you will. That's a perfect place for us to stop. Peter, Phil, thank you for joining thank us. On you. The thank, thank you. Thank you guys so us. much. Yeah. Thank you guys. You've been listening to the people on K Chung 1630 AM. Our theme music is Ock fifth by Lewis Keller. And you can find us on iTunes by searching for the people radio. Uh, do go to iTunes Take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. That would be lovely. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page. And we're going to go out with an excerpt from a live performance by Jacob Wick, who you heard from at the top of the show in our notes from the people segment. And this recording was made in collaboration with San Francisco-based Iranian artist Arash Fayez in 2015 at Hector in Mexico City. And the name of this piece is Mil Disculpas.